This week's podcast proudly brought to you by Kent Cartridge. See, I made the mistake of buying the cheapest shot shells I could find when I first started duck hunting, and I would literally I'd watch feathers fly off of birds as they gave me a middle finger and flew off unscathed. That's when I switched over to Kent, and I was bartending and waiting tables at the time in college, and money was tight, but Kent offered me a great product at a fair price, and I've never looked back. Of course, now we have uh, Fast Deal 2.0. They just released Fast Deal Plus for this upcoming season, and with Dove season on the horizon, we've got Steel Dove, and then Teal Steel for early teal season. Whatever your shotgunning needs are for this fall, Kent has you covered. You can find all of their products at kentcartridge.com. This week's show brought to you by Ducks Unlimited, an organization that I've been plugged into for, gosh, over 15 years now. From the Alaskan wilderness to the Atlantic Flyway, across America's Great Plains, and down the Mississippi Delta, Ducks Unlimited has been leading the way in wetlands conservation since 1937. The DU family has ensured the protection of over 16 million acres of waterfowl habitat. Think about that. So, come join us. You too can carry on DU's conservation legacy. Visit ducks.org to find your local event and join our volunteer team, Ducks Unlimited, the world's leader in wetlands conservation. Uh, hey y'all, it's Charlie Robinson and you're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Well, I got tires to show, a backbone made of silver. Well, I got Willie playing on my radio. Ah, yes, the late, great Charlie Robinson kicking things off for us on episode 694 of SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. I'm Cable Smith. Thank you for dropping by today. Uh, Charlie Robinson, one of uh, the true trailblazers of the Texas country music scene going back. I think he started his career in 1989, but he passed away last week way too young, at the age of 59. Uh, we have we had him on the show. I had to go back and search. That was... 2010 when charlie came on and i went i actually listened to a little bit of that interview <laughs> and i think i've changed a lot since then man that was stuff to listen to but nobody likes to hear themselves uh, on the radio or or uh otherwise it's like one of those things but if you ever went to one of charlie's shows dude nine times out of ten he wasn't up there with uh, an acoustic guitar no he did play the acoustic guitar but he grabbed an electric guitar and rocked out. And that dude was a badass guitar player, too. So anyway, Rip Charlie. And uh, and also, we didn't even mention Jimmy Buffett's passing. I mean, I've played a ton of Jimmy Buffett's music on the show over the years. And then I found out, thanks to a post from Park City's Quail, that Jimmy was an avid bird hunter. Uh, a lot of parrot heads might not know that, but uh, the dude loved his upland hunting. So we lost two good ones here recently. Uh, anyway, you know what to do by now. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of that Black Rifle coffee out of Granddaddy's beat-up old Stanley Thermos because we are ready to rock and roll. And today we're going to dive into an always controversial issue, uh, that being CWD, chronic wasting disease. It's something that most deer hunters are familiar with, um, and not just whitetail. It affects mule deer, elk. Um, most of our North American servants are susceptible to CWD. But is it really the death knell for those species? Like EHD, blue tongue, anthrax, those get into a herd and they can wipe that thing out in short order. But I have not seen the data 
that supports this notion that CWD does the same thing as quickly, or if at all, right? Uh, And one of the reasons why is the incubation period with CWD can be years before the animal shows any distress from being infected with the disease. So I am not saying it's not a thing and that it's not horrible for white-tailed deer. I'm just saying, where is the data? I want to see it. Because I'll be frank, I have this suspicion that it doesn't exist. That data isn't out there. Uh, To the tune that just this past week, the state of Tennessee, their resource and wildlife agency, is has a lawsuit filed against them because they fired their former whitetail deer program lead because he was about to publish data that they were fudging the numbers on CWD, claiming that 16 counties had positive tests, while in reality, according to him, only two counties had CWD positive deer. Well, that's a huge deal, and the people in those counties, uh, if you're trying, if you're an outfitter in those counties. Think about the lost revenue. People don't want to come hunt deer. And if if all of this uh, propaganda is being pushed on you that CWD is the death now, it's the grim reaper for white-tailed deer, so let's fudge the numbers. Why would you fudge the numbers? For control, right? And so, you know, I've been a huge supporter of Texas Parks and Wildlife on this show over the years, but we have had our differences, especially in recent times, with... Um, the way that they tried to change Collin, Dallas, Rockwall, and Grayson counties to rifle counties a couple years ago. And the bow hunters in those counties said, uh, the hell you are. Got it, that kibosh. I didn't appreciate how they handled the advances from Texans for mountain lions. And uh, I, I don't have skin in the game because I'm not a deer breeder. I don't own a high fence ranch. I've hunted at those places before. Uh, love it or hate it, whatever, it doesn't matter to me. I could care less how you hunt as long as you're doing it legally and ethically. Now, if those ranches were really affecting our free-ranging deer, of course, yes, I would I would be on the side of, well, okay, let's uh let's see how we can implement restrictions. How can we stop the spread of this thing? But again, where it, where's the real issue? Is it killing all these deer? And even in places where there've been positives, and here's the thing, in Texas, There's positives on the open range, and there's positives behind high fences. What percentage, though? Because if you're you're driving down the highway in the Texas Hill Country, you might just see a CWD billboard paid for by Texas Parks and Wildlife. Last week, I got a flyer in the mail from Texas Parks and Wildlife, and it was a CWD, Not when I say flyer, I mean it was a double-sided printed mailer. Where's the EHD one that's actually killing tons of deer? I, I've never gotten an EHD mailer. So today's guests are not biologists, but they will be sharing what is going on with the deer breeding and sometimes high fence hunting industry when it comes to Texas Parks and Wildlife and the sometimes draconian measures that they take uh, when it comes to CWD and what these uh, ranches have to do in order to be in compliance. Uh, also, is it is it worth it for these ranches to try to fudge the numbers like Tennessee, <laughs> Tennessee's Parks and Wildlife Agency? Uh, it seems like it would be business suicide if they were caught. But uh, our guests today know infinitely more about all of that. They're, they're living under that umbrella. 
And so joining us on today's show will be uh, Deer Breeders, Jason, Chansey, and Jory Rector. Uh, they make up uh, a part of a, a group, I think it's a, a new group, of deer breeders who are uh, coming together to, to try to just figure out, how, I, they'll explain it better than I could, but uh, how they can partner with Texas Parks and Wildlife to be part of the solution rather than you know, having the finger pointed at them as the problem. So, love it or hate it, I don't know what your take is on deer breeding. I'm pretty indifferent, to be frank. Uh, I think it's a conversation worth having. So, that's what we're going to do today. Jason and Jory will be here for the duration of the presentation. Let's knock out a quick break. Oh, oh first, let's do a quick giveaway. Uh, how about a Havilon knife? We'll do a Peranta giveaway and a Havilon cap as well. Uh, all you need to do is email, let's just say deer since that's what we're going to be talking about today. Just email deer to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. And uh, congrats to Jason Brunley. He uh, won last week's giveaway. Uh, so congrats to you, my friend. I think uh, listening uh, via the podcast somewhere in Missouri. So congrats, Jason. Uh, okay, let's take a quick break. Coming up next, Jason Chansey and Joy Rector join us to talk CWD and white-tailed deer right here on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. If you're looking for a new gun safe, you need to check out the Performance Firearm Storage Solutions from Securit. Unlike traditional safes, Securit products are designed to perform for you. They're lightweight, so you can discreetly store them in any room in the house, and the interior is completely customizable to fit your guns and gear. I would know, I've got four of them. Their fast access storage system keeps my guns and optics organized so they never touch each other or get damaged, and I'm never more than an arm's length away from a firearm. The best part, they're always running great sales. Head over to securitgunstorage.com backslash cable to see their latest promotion, and you can thank me later. Welcome everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Thanks for dropping by today as we are all set to talk CWD and whitetail deer specifically with Jason Chansey and Joy Rector. First though, this segment, and they're deer breeders by the way, you might hate that, I don't know, but uh, I do encourage you to be open-minded because um, I think there's a lot of misinformation out there for whatever reason when it comes to this disease. Um, we're just trying to make sense of it. So anyway, uh, this segment of the show brought to you by SCI, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. I am a proud member and want to remind you that the 2024 convention is taking place once again in Nashville. Everybody loved Nashville so much that SCI is bringing it back. We're running it back uh, and it's taking place January 31st through February 3rd in Nashville. So uh, Nashville is clean. It is a there's a very strong police presence. It's a cool town. You can walk to restaurants and bars from just about anywhere you would be staying in proximity to the uh, convention center down there. Uh, actually, beautiful southern town. Uh, so 
Save the date. Jan 31st through Feb 3rd. For more info, head over to safariclub.org, and I will see you there. With that being said, let's bring them on right now. Uh, Jason Chansey and Joy Rector, chronic wasting disease, CWD, always a hot-button topic when it comes to uh, deer hunters and deer management. Um, You guys are on the forefront of this. I know Jason's been affected directly. Uh, Jory, I don't know what your situation is, but we want to talk about some of the numbers and the reality when it comes to CWD. Um, so first of all, though, you guys are, you represent a, a group made up of uh, breeders. Does the organization have a name? I'm not sure if I, if I'm aware of that or. Oh, we're a group of uh, breeders that have basically joined together. And as far as getting so organized to get to the point of having names or LLCs, that's kind of in the infancy, infancy stages. But the main thing is we're trying to have United Voice uh, amongst breeders because our numbers are dwindling because there's so many of us that have gotten out of the business because of the regulations and rules put on us by Texas Parks and Wildlife and Texas Animal Health that it's gotten to where it's taken the fun out of being and it's also gotten to where it's it's dangerous to wake up every morning and still want to be a breeder if you're being concerned that you're going to be put out of business that day or the next Hmm. but what we're trying to accomplish is partner with texas animal health partner with texas parks and wildlife in this fight against cwd uh to hopefully be the cure and quit being pointed at as uh one of the causes for it do you think that they want to partner with you i can't answer for them i mean uh everything that they have shown us so far it's not a warm welcoming committee that uh they're breaking out the welcoming committee for us whenever we we try to show up with solutions and answers and it's almost like they're looking at the old science rather than the stuff that's coming out uh here in the past couple years on ways to combat this and actually have solutions long term uh for any type of disease much less i mean CWD is the hot topic right now, but other diseases that will pop up, I mean, as we have testing and discover more about white-tailed deer and what affects them, then we we want to be around to help with that, and dang, we dang sure don't want to be the cause of it. Well, and it seems like you guys would be, just based off of circumstances, and you're already testing these deer, and you're it's a very hands-on deal when you're breeding or, when, or if you're releasing bucks. I mean, it seems like y'all should be the first ones that are saying, hey, or test for this or help us with this or track data on this, you know. Seems like you got y'all like a, a catalog of information for them if they wanted to utilize you in that way. Well, uh, a lot of the larger diseases that kill more deer than anything in the United States, you've got EHD, blue tongue kind of paired together in most instances, and then you got anthrax. Well, Folks have, especially breeders like in my instance, we were able to identify uh, long ago that South Texas genetics that have been exposed uh, to the midge flies for eons, that they tend to have a better resiliency when it comes to being exposed to that midge fly year in and year out. And so those genetics, while they might get EHD, they do a really good job at powering through it and coming back from it. Uh, same thing with blue tongue. There's certain variants that are worse than others, but for the most part, those South Texas genetics 
uh, have done a good job. And then the northern guys, as their deer get more exposed to the uh, midge flies, they can identify which genetics and which strains of uh, animals and bloodlines have a better resiliency against EHD. And then whenever the anthrax stuff pops out in West Texas, it's typically deer breeders that are able to go in and put animals back in those places with superior genetics whenever those those populations get wiped out. So we we believe that with Dr. Chris Seabury's uh, CWD research and genetic resistance to CWD, we believe we've got the same the same results that we can have with uh, the cure for CWD through breeding for resistance. Hmm. Yeah. Um, those, those diseases are very real as is CWD. No one's, no one's denying that, but I haven't seen, you know, like historically you could say this part of Wyoming, what the herd was wiped out by EHD and it's still struggling to come back parts of Texas. Uh, anthrax can do the same thing. And that one just comes out of the soil. If the conditions are right, but it can wipe out a herd. I haven't seen where CWD has actually wiped out a deer population. So, and, and like I said, no one's denying that it's real, but is it, it seems like we're investing all the time and money on this disease when there's other ones out there that are, have a much more detrimental effect on a deer population. Uh, and Jory, you sent me a spreadsheet of some numbers regarding positive tests in both captive bred deer and free ranging deer. Um, if, give us a brief overview because I think they've been testing since 2012, but do you have it all right there in a nice tidy Excel spreadsheet for us? I do actually, they've been testing since 2002, but the data that I have, which has been obtained through ORRs. Um, and so they're all Texas parts and wildlife numbers. I also use some data off of their website. So none of these numbers are my numbers. They're, they're all Texas parts and wildlife numbers. Why so. is this? But you can't just like go and find this on the website. You had to request it. The, the total positives you can pretty quickly, which they have not updated it lately. Uh, mm-hmm. They're still showing 508 positives since 2012. I actually looked at that this morning, but I think uh, the number that I have through the accumulation of the ORRs is 533 positives since 2012. And that's out of, according to them, 288,709 tests total, both at a mortem and postmortem. Um, 0.18% positive rate. But one of the things that I always look at too is the CDC and their, their concerns, they define low risk and low concern as, as a 5% or less infectious rate. We're at a 0.18% infectious rate overall. Mm-hmm. Even if you go look through, through year by year, uh, type by type, uh, these, these, these positive rates are all below 1%, most of them well below 1%. Um, the one exception being the, uh, the Kerr Wildlife Management Area. They, they actually last year had a, had a 2% positive rate, still well below that 5% threshold. Um, that was one deer out of 48 tests, basically. So everything, I, I just, everything tells me that, that this is, it is a disease and it is concerning, but, but not worth the, you know, thousands of deer that the Texas Parks and Wildlife has has uh, depopulated with thousands more to come. The number of businesses that have been ran out of business, regulated out of business, if you will, over this. I just don't see, I can't see where this is warranted, any of it. 
So the first time I really heard about this, where mm -hmm. Texas Parks and Wildlife went in and just smoked an entire herd was, I think it was a Medina County facility, uh, 2014 or 15 ish, somewhere in there. Have they changed that aggressive policy? And I'm not even saying that it's wrong or right. I just know they found CWD. They went in and killed the deer herd, Medina County. Um, and, and they, they recently have asked Jason to kill a certain uh, number of does on his property. Yeah. So the, there's but three different methods herd. that, no, no, not my whole, I don't, I have not had a CWD positive. Okay. I have, uh, 11 does in my facility that came out of a facility that recently tested for CWD, a, a positive buck in uh, the spring of this year. That same buck was tested in the spring of 22, and he was tested negative through a live uh, anti-mortem rectal biopsy. The does that I have came out in October 21, so before he tested negative the first time, the does that I have came out of there at least six months prior to that, and then I have some does that were actually out of that facility four years ago, so we're, we're talking 30 months, uh, my math's right. 30 months before that deer ever tested or even tested negative the first time. And then 18 months plus after he, or before he tested uh, positive this spring. And so that deer was killed and tested him with a, a post-mortem test. And it was confirmed he had CWD. They have killed every deer that has come into contact with that animal out on that facility. And none of those deer were CWD positive. We've had deer that we have gotten out of that facility in that same time frame way back when that have died, regardless of how they died, break their neck, uh, pneumonia, that have tested, and they've all tested negative through the, the dead test. So there's three options that so, if you so have a CWD let me ask positive. You, let me ask you a question. So you just said none of the deer that have been tested that were in contact with this buck tested positive for CWD. That's right. So then how is CWD this thing that's just spread so common that it's just killing all these deer? And it, you just said, here's a positive. We know it's positive. We killed him. And now we've killed every other deer in the facility and none of them tested well, positive. Well, no, 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 no. They, they didn't, let me clarify. They didn't okay. kill every other. There's still animals in that facility out there that's alive. They tested every animal that was in direct contact with that buck that they could get their hands on. And all of those deer have tested negative after they've killed them. The options that they have is they can either go in and depopulate the entire facility. That's every pen, every deer that's in that facility. And they can get a check from USDA that they can negotiate. The second option that they have is to do the ox plan, which uh, it's uh, basically a research plan mm -hmm. where they can go in and kill genetically what is deemed genetically inferior deer that show that don't have as much resistance to CWD uh, and uh, the ox ranch, just real brief on that is I think they had somewhere around a thousand animals and they got a deer from the Medina County area. I believe is where that guy was from. And they suspected that deer to be positive and they, they killed him and sure enough, he was positive. And so they started, they, they wanted to do the research plan. So they went in and killed all the genetically inferior deer that were supposed to be more more inclined to get the disease. 
and somewhere around 700 animals that they killed and tested out of that thousand uh, population herd. And not a single one of them came back positive for CBD. So they killed 700 animals there that evidently didn't need to be killed. And then they've still got their superior deer that are genetically resistant that they're breeding and trying to grow back their population from just last week. They were finally able to release some animals onto their pasture to be hunted this past week. And then the, uh, the third option is what's called the phase out plan that Dr. Reed told us about at the Texas trophy hunters is you, as a breeder, you can go in. If you're seeing, if you had a CWD positive, you can go in and kill all your dose and have them tested and then you can live test your bucks. And if you have a release site, and I think it has to be uh, conjoining with your facility, you can release those bucks into the pasture to be hunted that year and killed. And then you have to have them uh, dead tested after the fact. So basically test them twice, test them with a live test, test them with a dead test. And the third option out there now. But as a trace facility, which is what I am, with those does that are that have been out of the facility for two and some four years, we want the option to live test them and try to clear these animals from being killed uh, because there's no coming back from that. I mean, they don't have it, and we killed them for what? Let's live test them and keep them in the facility. They can stay there for as long as we need them to. We can test them periodically to make sure they haven't showed back up through the incubation periods. But right now, that's not an option, and so we're we're trying to get that to be an option right now. But mm. it seems like it's on deaf ears. Mm. You know, it is a tough situation, and I don't envy Texas Parks and Wildlife. You know, they have a job to do. And with that in mind, let's take a break. When we come back, I'll play the devil's advocate, and we'll continue this discussion regarding CWD. Uh, that segment of the show brought to you by All Seasons Feeders and Blinds and the Big Chingone. You've heard me talk about it. The entire Smith clan can fit inside that bad boy. Uh, it's got carpet. It has windows for bow or archery uh, hunting, whatever you prefer. And, uh, of course, it has uh, shelves for the kiddos' drinks and snacks, all that good stuff. It's the Big Chingone. Check it out. You can find it at allseasonsfeeders.com. We'll be right back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Trail. Don't make a sound. Watch for the barbed wire. Bell to the ground Hear the wind Whispering in the blind Anticipating what we'll find Some say a silenced gunshot is the baddest sound out there. At Silencer Central, we have another favorite. It's the sound of silence delivered to your front door. When you buy from Silencer Central, we handle your application, set you up with a free NFA gun trust, and deliver your silencer straight to you. With an average 90-day turnaround time when you use eForms, buying a silencer is simpler than ever. Visit silencercentral.com and we'll help you get started. I would not remember how you broke my heart. 
Cable Smith welcoming everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. This segment, by the way, brought to you by Mossberg and the MC2SC double stacked 9mm pistol. It is a crazy, crazy world out there. And if you're not carrying, you are putting yourself and possibly your loved ones at risk. So grab an MC2SC, learn how to use it. I think too many people forget that you actually need to practice shooting the thing, uh, but grab one carry it on you, exercise your Second Amendment right, uh, because <laughs> the state of this world, whew, it's crazy, man, and uh, not in a good way. So check out the MC2SC at Mossberg.com. Uh, all right, let's continue our CWD discussion with uh, Jason, Chansey, and Jory Rector. So let me play the devil's advocate. I'm a, I'm a free-range hunter. I kind of uh, have a little bit of resentment, animosity, for whatever reason towards deer breeders and the high fence hunting community. I'm pointing my finger at you saying, you're spreading this CWD around my state, putting me at risk. What do you say to that person, to that hunter? I'd say that every deer that's coming out of a pen is antemortem tested with a non-detect prior to being released. Um, and then if, if something were to pop up, these deer are only being liberated into high fenced release sites. And that is part of the requirement of a release site has to have an eight foot tall game fence around it, completely enclosed. So these deer cannot get out of this release site um, or should not be able to. They, they, things happen, gates get sure. left open, but very, very seldom. So it, even these deer are being contained. So if they are diseased, the disease is being contained with it. They're not diseased. Um, you know, this is such a low percentage rate and a low, I mean, a lo extremely low death rate. Um, so there, there's just not a, there's, there's. But there's I just no got way. a flyer in the mail from Texas Parks and Wildlife about CWD. And, you know, it was a nice double, you know, color printed flyer, little mailer thing. Uh, I'm, I was just guessing it's probably about 75 cents to print one of these both sides. And then you add postage. And then three days later, my son got one because he's a licensed Texas hunter. So that's, uh, you know, 1.2 million licensed hunters, licensed hunters in Texas, these things are at least a dollar uh, a pop when you're saying, you know, uh, actually creating it and then shipping it. That's a lot of money um, to be throwing at something that, at, like you just said, the infection rate is so low and we have other diseases that are killing infinitely more deer. Why are we not, why are we not sending out EHD flyers? I don't know. Uh, seems like a gross <laughs> allocation of resources to me and then you can drive down the highway and see billboards about cwd i ain't never seen an ehd flyer or or billboard I, it, so something's not adding up um i don't know what it is and i said no, i don't have any skin in the game really uh i hunt low fence i've hunted high fences i don't own a facility don't breed deer but i don't care that you guys do um and it seems like it just seems like it's a very heavy-handed approach. And I get like Texas Parks and Wildlife has to look out for their cash cow, which is, you know, what's why are people buying hunting licenses in Texas? Mostly for deer. So, you know, I understand, but the numbers going back to what the, the spreadsheet that you sent me, I just, I don't get it. And especially considering that some of those positive tests come from free-range animals already in places where there are no facilities. So you can't say, oh, it's, it's your fault, Mr. Deer Breeder. Because there ain't a damn deer breeder anywhere around there. Right. About 20% of the positives have come from free range deer or free range service. Yeah. Most of them. Well, to, 
of the two, the thing you need to look at on that is the percentage of animals being tested uh, free range versus in the breeder pens or in release sites. It is a far greater number of animals percentage wise that's being tested in a, in a breeder's facility than what's being tested on the, on the open range. And if you look at uh, probably the epicenter right now for the United States of where Wyoming or where, where uh, CWD is most prevalent, you can look at Wyoming. There's not a deer breeder in uh, Wyoming at all. So to point the finger at deer breeders is spreading this around and causing this. Well, Wyoming is a pretty good example, but there's no breeders there, and it's, it's it's getting spread pretty rampantly through through Wyoming, and they're not really having a humongous decline in their animals. But if you look at EHD in the state of Texas, EHD does not discriminate against age on a deer, and it can kill fawns. It can kill eight-year-old bucks. I mean, just depending on how it hits them and when the midge fly comes through, if they're a little bit sick, got the sniffles from something, and then the midge fly bites them and their immune system's already down, it's probably going to smoke them. Whereas CWD seems to be, from the animals that I have seen that are supposedly clinical or dying from it, seems to be they're the older animals in the, uh, in the herd. Whereas I think the average lifespan of a free-ranging whitetail in the state of Texas is three and a half years old. Well, they're saying incubation period can be three and a half years. So they might be outliving the disease uh, or getting shot with a bullet or hit with a Volkswagen bug uh, long before they ever die from CWD. Well, that would be a Californian driving that that moved here. <laughs> well, or an <laughs> yeah, or an Austinite for sure. Um, so what it we we kind of got into this and we didn't really give a background of what CWD is. It's a it's a prion, I think a protein prion that affects. The is it the brain and and then uh, how is it, how is this disease spread because some of those other ones are very highly contagious you know, anthrax is just an outbreak in the soil if condi conditions are right but uh that one can spread like wildfire and, and wipe out a herd i haven't seen historically where and like you just said wyoming a lot of cwd positives but their deer herds dying from harsh winters not from cwd so um i'm just you know I, i'm just trying to make sense of it all um, but, but as far as CWD, what it does and how it's spread, uh, shed a little light on that and keep in mind, none of us are biologists, but we're all, we all, again, why are we sending out flyers? Most of us know what CWD is, but if anyone doesn't, let's break it down. So CWD is a TSC transmissible spongiform encephalopathy. And basically what that is, is a big, long word for, and I probably didn't even pronounce it right myself. That's all right. But it's uh, right. a big, long word for a brain degeneration. And so CWD is a chronic wasting disease, is a misfolded protein called a prion that can be picked up in the soil. It can be transmitted through feces. It can be transmitted through uh, feed. There's even evidence that it can be, uh, that plants can pick it up. Uh, through the soil and it can be transmitted through them as animals eat it. Uh, so if you get alfalfa out of northeastern Colorado or wherever where there's Wyoming, where there is a lot of CWD positives, then that can be trucked in from out of state. Uh, if you look at the flight path of buzzards uh, from Canada, because they're migratory birds from Canada down to Mexico, if you look at those flight patterns, they cover lots of miles every day. 
And if you think about the nature of a buzzard, whenever it's feeding on a carcass, the first thing it does is pick around the rear end of an animal, pick around the eyeballs. And that is the two places that we're looking on uh, live test and dead test for these CWD prions. And if you've ever been around a buzzard roost where they roost at night, it is a pretty nasty sight mm. underneath there of what all happens and what are they shedding themselves whenever, whenever they're doing that. Same thing with uh, raccoons, with hogs, uh, uh, any scavengers that eat these animals, coyotes, that eat and spread these diseases. That's pretty good indication to me that there's way more than just a breeder. In fact, I see folks put on Facebook that we're carrying CWD down the highway in a trailer at 70 miles an hour. Truth of the matter is we're carrying it from one place that has been contained to another place that is contained and that animal has been CWD tested with a live test before we move it. That's required by law. Mm-hmm. So the the narrative that we're, we're being negligent and that we're purposefully trying to move deer around with a disease, that couldn't be further for the truth. The last thing we want to do is harm the whitetail species. I mean, that's, that's what our business is based off of is these animals. The health of these animals is crucial to our business. And so for us to want to spread a disease that's devastating to them, we're not going to do it. I mean, that's, right. that's insane that we would do that. Well, that's like if, if you had a CWD positive, you're like a leper, like you're, you're untouchable. You can't do business really. Uh, and then you're at risk of having your entire herd wiped out. But I have seen some folks say, well, they can just fudge it. You know, they're, I'm like, well, there's bad apples everywhere, right? Whether it's a, uh, in the police force or in the hunting community, there's poachers, right? So yeah, there might be everywhere. Temptation is great, but it would be business ending for you guys, death knell for you. And then I'm sure there'd be fines and possible litigation. If you were caught, uh, doing something dishonest, unethical, I'm not saying that that there aren't bad folks in every business, but it just doesn't make sense why you would put yourself, open yourself up to that level of risk if you want to continue to do business. No, you're mm-hmm. right. I mean, if 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 we as breeders get caught moving a deer that is uh, does not match the paperwork, so just give you a quick rundown of how it works. In order for me to move a deer from my facility to a release site to liberate it, and now even to move it to another breeder, I have to have a live test on that animal. So if I do not have a live test on it, and how that works is I take a rectal biopsy, or my veterinarian does, takes a rectal biopsy and sends that sample to uh, Texas A&M Veterinary Medical Lab. They test it. And they're looking for these CWD prions. It has to come back negative before I can even have a chance to move that deer. And just so you know, whenever I go to put in a, to produce my permit that allows me to move those deer, if they do not have a negative test in Texas Parks and Wildlife System, I can't even select that deer to put it on the permit. So if I can't select that deer and put it on the permit, I can't legally move it because I have to have that deer listed on the permit. If I'm going down the road and I've got a deer in my trailer that does not match that permit, and a game warden pulls me over, it's immediate stop. You're going back to where you came from, and we're going to go through all of these deer with a fine-tooth comb. If my deer don't match that paperwork, that's 
career ending. That's business ending for me as a breeder. So to try to fudge one or two deer through there, whenever you're talking um, a lot of deer, I mean, a couple of hundred deer are at stake. That would be, it would be insane for somebody to try to do that. So the narrative that that is rampant in this business is not right. Like you say, sure, there's one or two bad apples that are going to chance that and take that kind of risk. But the majority of us look at that as just business suicide if you were to try to do that. Uh And they, you also, some of these animals are microchipped. They all have tattoos in their ears. So like you, you can't fudge a tattoo. It's there or it isn't. Nope. March 31st of every year, we have to have all of these deer fawns that were born in the facilities the year before. We have to have them by March 31st, all tattooed, have to have a a certain size ear tag in them that's laser engraved with the unique number. So it's easily visible if a game warden wants to come out and check our facilities and check our tagging. Uh, If we have one that rips the ear tag out, which does happen, then we have to have the next time we're able to put our hands on that animal, we're supposed to replace that tag immediately, but we also have uh, these microchips or uh, RFID tags, which are basically uh, larger microchips that go in the ear. But you can also microchip them like you do your dog. You can put a microchip between the shoulder blades and with the reader. If uh, you have a reader, then you can go in and actually electronically see which animal that is. If the tattoo is not visible uh, or if they have ripped out their ear tag, then you can still identify which animal that is. So the ideal that uh, these deer are not identifiable now. No, right. Exactly. Um, Let's talk out a quick break here, gentlemen. We'll come back and talk about, I think, a jab more at high fence hunting than the deer breeding industry because Texas Parks and Wildlife wants you guys to do something that I think is a major turnoff. Um, We'll get into that next. This segment proudly brought to you by the Stealth Cam Deceptor. You can pick one up at Tractor Supply or head over to StealthCam.com to see their entire lineup of cellular cameras. We'll be right back on the One Star Outdoor Show. I'm so tired of goodbyes. I can't wait on your love Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, a full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Looking for a thermal hog hunt near DFW? Then Three Curl Outfitters has you covered. Offering fully guided thermal hunts just minutes south of Dallas, guide scout daily to put you on the bacon. Using thermal imaging technology to hunt feeders, crop fields, and river bottoms, you get unlimited hogs and no kill fees. Visit www.3curl.com. Also offering corporate hunts and food and lodging available by request. Book at 3curl.com or call 214-455-0940. Cable Smith, welcome everybody back in SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. 
We are still visiting with Dear Breeders Jason Chansey and Joey Rector. We'll continue that CWD discussion in just a second. This segment, though, brought to you by NUMA, here for the outdoors. I am taking the Renegade pant and the lightweight Renegade top on my elk hunt next week. Uh, temperatures are going to be in the 70s and 80s during the day. That kind of sucks for the peak of the rut, but uh, I will be cool in the lightweight Renegade top and bottom. Uh, and, of course, the top has a, a hood uh, and even a face cover that is designed for if you're having to spend a lot of time glassing, um, that's going to keep that sun off of you, get those UV rays off of you. It's light, airy, breathable. You can find the Renegade series at NUMA.com. And here's a cool thing. Save 20% off all of your NUMA gear with my promo code LONESTAR20. And even better than that, they guarantee their apparel for life. It's crazy, but they do it. Okay, with that being said, uh, let's get back into it with Jason and Jory. Now, guys, I understand that uh, there is a proposal. It might actually have been implemented at this point, uh, but one that would potentially have a profound effect on high fence ranches that are selling white-tailed deer hunts. There is a rule and regulation on the on the docket right now that there is a push that they want all the bucks that go out to pasture. Uh, they want those deer to continue to have ear tags in them. I heard about that. most hunters. Yeah, most hunters don't want to be seeing a deer running or a buck running around out there that they're hunting with an ear tag in there. And so that's that's a way that anti-hunters or anti-high finchers can try to devalue what devalue these animals. But the guys that are stocking their ranch for the genetics, whenever we send those out to these pastures to improve their genetics, most of those guys want the ear tags to stay in their nose because identifying a doe out in the pasture that is a superior genetic is pretty hard to do. But if you leave ear tags in their ears saying, Hey, don't shoot that doe, let her go. She's our breed stock. And then if you see a buck running around out in the pasture, that's 130 inch eight point. Chances are that's not one you bought to put out there in the pasture. That's easy enough to identify to get him out of there. But if you Mm. shoot, see a 200 inch, uh, 12 point with double drop tines, Okay, that's one that we dropped out. That's pretty easy to identify that that's one we're not going to shoot. So the need to identify the breed stock that was sent out there, it's easy to identify the animal or identify a group of animals. It's Well, I understand that because the ear tag's not in it, that it's harder to find that deer when it's out in the pasture. But if it left a facility with a live test showing that it does not have CWD, that deer should be liberated and off the table. We shouldn't have to go out there and try to find that deer and kill it. Yeah. Yeah, my friend uh, Butch Amlong, he is the uh, ranch manager over at Squaw Mountain Whitetails. I was talking to him at Texas Trophy Hunters, and he he was telling me about that. Like, they're kind of – I don't remember which phase they are. They haven't had, like, a a CWD positive. Maybe the same situation as you where, you know, you've been linked to this – oh, this buck from – you know, this other place, but you know, you've had these does for 18 months, some of them for four years. How does that add up? But he was telling me about the ear tags and he's like, that's going to really kill a lot of the, uh, desire for guys to come. I mean, they just don't want to shoot a buck with an ear tag in it. They don't like the look of it. Um, so I don't know. Uh, seems like that would have negatively affect your industry for sure. It is an emergency. So it, 
Yeah. And that's across every high fence ranch. Yes. If a deer leaves, if it, I have a release site. So any deer that comes into my release site from this day forward has to have an air tag left in it when they step off the trail. And I do not like that at all. I, it's, you know, my wife and I ride around every night looking at these deer just about, she loves to take pictures. She takes a ton of really good pictures. I don't want to see ear tags in my box ears. Now I do to Jason's point. I do like to have ear tags in the ears of my does just so that I can identify them, but I can identify every single buck on my ranch. As soon as they start, you know, pushing antler in the spring, I can tell who they are almost immediately. And then most of them, even when they, after they drop their antlers because of facial features and things like that, but it detracts from the beauty of these animals significantly as well as the value. And like I told you guys, you know, I've hunted in high fences for whitetail. It's not my favorite thing. Uh, I'd rather, for me, my deer lease, you know, shooting a free range 135 inch deer means more. But uh, when at a high fence ranch, if someone invites me, uh, shooting a buck with an ear tag in its ear just that doesn't appeal to me at all. And I get Texas Parks and Wildlife wanting to protect their their baby whitetail deer. We all we all want them to do that. Right? We all do. Generally speaking, I think they do an okay job. Um, but I, CWD, I just, you've given us the numbers of positive tests and keeping in mind that way more tests are coming out of breeding facilities at high fence ranches than could ever, they're ever doing on free range deer. Um, did so you, you guys are getting tested. I'm sorry. Did you see those numbers on the spreadsheet for last year? Yeah. According to these numbers, 45%, a little over 45% of breeder deer were tested. 0.285% of free range deer were tested. Mm -hmm. That's a significant. Jordan, can you put that into perspective? Can you put that in, into perspective? How many deer would have to be killed and tested on the free range side of it in order to kept, catch up percentage wise to what we're doing as breeders? Uh, they would have to test 1.4 million deer huh. to catch up oh, in a year. In a year. In a single oh. year. 1.4 million. And how, how many deer are killed in the state of Texas by hunters in a year? Oh, probably, I don't know. What do we have? 600,000, somewhere in there. 600,000. Something like that. Six to 800,000. I know we, we kill more deer than any other state. You know, we are, we have a great whitetail uh, heritage here. Um, mm -hmm. But 1.2 million to catch up is, so that, that just goes back to the whole, the whole premise of this conversation. Is CWD, uh, is it real? Yes, it is. Is it the Grim Reaper for white-tailed deer? I, I'm not seeing that. I'm not seeing it. So wh wh where's the balance between, yes, we should be concerned. Um, I, you guys are already under very strict regulations, very strict laws. So I don't, where's the, where's the balance of, yes, CWD is real, but is it the you know, the end all be all when it comes to whitetail disease spread. You even mentioned the incubation. Like if you were to see a deer with EHD, it would be acting, it wouldn't be acting right. I've seen them. I've seen video. I haven't seen one in person, but I've seen plenty of videos of uh, an EHD positive deer. And you know what I've all, often seen associated with that? Mislabeled as a deer with CWD, right? But there was a even... promotional video out the other day, and I actually have the original video, but they were using a video from uh, oh, a place in Illinois, and I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of it, but it was a it was a hunter kill video. The deer runs down the road and flips over backwards. Well, the guy shot him with a bow or rifle, whatever it was. Well, this guy promoting 
are pushing the CWD agenda had used this video in his in his promotion or, or propaganda is what it was. So yes, there's a lot of that going on. There's a lot of of sick deer that you know are sick from whatever that are being you know they're not saying this deer has CWD, but they're implying that it has CWD. Right. Um, and that's 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 gross misrepresentation uh, from from my from my standpoint. What does the CWD infected deer look like? I, you know, if you um, look at the symptoms that they list, they list pretty much the same exact symptoms that you see from a deer that's dying from EHD and CWD and pneumonia. You start looking at uh, those symptoms, and they match pretty well regular with the stuff that we commonly see deer dying of that has to do with respiratory or, or neurological type things. So you start seeing a deer that's drooling. You start seeing a deer that's losing weight and skinny. You start seeing a deer that's uh, got discharge from its nose. Its ears are drooping. It's fuzzy looking. That's all the same exact signs that you see from a deer with EHD or pneumonia or blue tongue. So there, maybe that's just the sign of a sick deer. When you start seeing that stuff, that's all pointing towards the signs of a sick deer. That's what they look like. Mm -hmm. They're prey animals. And so a prey animal tries to show, I mean, if you, you look at all the, the mutual of Omaha videos from when we were kids showing how that it's uh, the weakest that the predators are going after. Well, one of the ways that the prey is able to try to survive is by hiding these sicknesses. So they hide it for as long as they can. But whenever it gets to a certain point, you start, they start showing their, showing their hand a little bit and they're all showing the exact same symptoms. Hmm. Well, Dr. Hunter Reed had, had showed us some pictures in San Antonio and I, it was one or two deer that they had confirmed were CWD that, that were going to die of CWD. And the description Jason just gave was pretty accurate for those. I think it was actually one picture for the single picture. I mean, head drooping, really skinny, uh, ears drooping, and there wasn't a whole lot else that you could see. He flashed it up on the screen uh, pretty quickly. So hmm. it matches a lot of the other diseases like Jason was. But with a much longer incubation time. Apparently. Hmm. Okay. Uh, well, let's do this. Let's take our last break. We'll come back, wrap up the CWD conversation for today. That segment brought to you by Big and J, Whitetail Attractants. High fence, low fence, no fence, doesn't matter. You put out that BB squared, the big bucks come running. I have thousands of photos to back that up uh, on my uh, free range leases. So um, check it out. BB squared. You can find their entire lineup of whitetail and hog attractants at biganj.com. We'll be right back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Some damn fool put a dollar on a jug. In the market for a compact track loader, check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at one of our nine North Texas locations. Visit BobcatOfNorthTexas.com or call 469-586-0000 today. Let me tell you about the Armorsite 640 contractor. It is the industry-leading thermal technology in a very user-friendly rifle scope. A 640 Armor Core 12 Micro made in the USA Thermal Core. It's got a four-hour onboard recording, 
four-hour runtime on a full charge, USB and Wi-Fi streaming, uh, eight user-selectable reticles, and six color palettes, and the most user-friendly interface out there because you're operating these things in the dark. So uh, that's very important. You can find the contractor, the 640, or its little brother, the 320, right there at armorsite.com. Though you won't remember, it'll still make you laugh when you see us together in a photograph. No, you won't One more from Charlie Robinson bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg. Cable Smith here with you as always. Thanks for dropping by. As uh, we're all set to wrap up today's discussion regarding CWD, and just to be fair, uh, I will invite Texas Parks and Wildlife's uh, CWD or their, uh, I, well, I guess he is the CWD czar. I don't know. It's a young kid. I looked up his qualifications. He's not from Texas. Red flag. Um, I think we should hire in-house most of the time, personally. Uh, not because you don't understand what CWD is, but you don't understand Texas hunting culture or Texans for that matter. Uh, but I'll invite him on. Forget his name. Young kid. Uh, he's the one that's sending out the mailers, spending our money though. And we'll see if he uh, has the stones to come on because I would like to, uh, to be fair and at least have him on to give an explanation as to why CWD is the grim reaper for white-tailed deer. Uh, but that's a conversation for another day. Uh, we're still visiting with deer breeders, Jason Chancy and Jory Rector. Uh, this segment of the show brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. Whether you uh, take a free-range trophy or a deer in a high fence, doesn't matter to me. If you want to put it on the wall, head over to Rustic Reminders. They've got locations in San Antonio and Marion, Texas. And Josh and Becky Gunther have been taking care of all of my taxidermy work for over, golly, like a dozen years now. They do amazing work and they answer the phone when you call. You can find them at gr8mounts.com. All right, let's wrap it up here with Jory and Jason. Has, uh, and I already know the answer to this, but has a human ever contracted CWD from a white-tailed deer? Not that I know of. No, they have not. Now, humans have gotten mad cow disease, right? Which is, I think, a it's similar prion-based deal. But I, I guarantee you, and maybe one of us sitting here has eaten a CWD-positive deer without knowing it. But they've been eaten, and, and eaten quite a bit when you talk about how many uh, infected deer there are, and especially out west. Right. Uh, they've been eaten. It's never jumped from species to species. So just, you know, throwing that out there too, is it a threat to humans? I don't think that it is. So that's just... You haven't seen any evidence that it is. Right, right. Uh, Well, earlier this year, there was a a case of a bovine, uh, well, mad cow disease. And it was, I think, in Virginia or somewhere on the East Coast. And anytime back when it was a big thing, you start hearing mad cow disease, people were freaking out. But what they figured out on that first round of mad cow disease is it was actually dietary is the reason uh, these cows were showing up uh, with BSE. And they also identified that there was a second strain of it, which is spontaneous. Well, the, the 
the cow that was slaughtered and tested for BSE in Virginia, they figured out that was the spontaneous strain. Evidently, the spontaneous strain does not transmit over to humans, so all of a sudden, okay, that was not a big deal. Once they figured out that it was a dietary thing in the cattle, then they changed the dietary practices of it, and you don't hear BSE or mad cow disease like you used to because they figured out that, okay, when it does show up, other than the dietary, then it is uh, it is spontaneous, and that's not that's not the one that is transmissible to humans. So CWD, they have not been able to link it to humans at all yet. Now, they, they keep throwing it out there that if you see a sick deer, have it tested and don't eat the meat. But, you know, there's plenty of healthy deer out there that are being shot and killed and they test and they're carrying CWD. So, how many healthy deer have been shot and killed, not showing any kind of symptoms, and we're eating with CWD? Yeah. I would imagine the meat in pounds would be in the millions. A lot, a lot. Um, historically speaking, they they say the origin of CWD is was at a, a research place, a high fence place in Colorado. I think it was in the fifties or sixties. I would say that my personal opinion, and I am not a biologist, I don't think this disease just popped up in a breeding facility fifty, sixty years ago. I imagine that it always existed. We just weren't testing for it because we didn't know it existed. How do you test for something that you don't know exists? So I'm, I, that's just my opinion. It, it would make sense to me, like just common sense. I'm looking at the situation. Oh, now we're testing for this thing. Oh, okay. Well, this is where we found the first confirmed case, but uh, I don't, I don't see how you could just say, well, no, it's, it originated with, with breeders and it's all their fault. So uh, probably has been just like our, are uh, deer out in the Trans-Pecos that keep testing positive that are, you know, uh, elk, whitetail, whatever. It's probably always been there, I would guess. Who knows? I don't have any That's, proof uh, of that. quite a but... few, few things. Go, Go ahead, ahead, George. <laughs> you first. If you look at, uh, if you look at uh, other, other things that affect our food chain over the years, there's a, there's a thing called aflatoxin that's found in corn. And corn has been a staple of the American diet for how many years? Well, aflatoxin, there was a test developed that uh, found this aflatoxin. And they said, oh, well, that's that's detrimental to humans. You can't eat uh, you can't eat aflatoxin or you can't eat, feed it to beef or you can't feed it to poultry or what have you. Okay, was that not there the day before the test was there and we were all eating it to begin with? Our chickens and beef cattle and everything else was already eating it. And so now it's being used for what? And if you look at the practices for the row crop farmers, those guys, if they bring in a load of corn into a granary, it's tested for aflatoxin. And if it's uh, too high in aflatoxin, they get docked for that load of corn. You know what they do with that corn that uh, has test too high for aflatoxin? Probably feed it to deer. Well, they do that, but they also mix it with other corn that is uh, that's not too high in aflatoxin that they can turn around and feed the deer. So, but they're taking a small sample out of a thousand bushel truck and testing that one spot for aflatoxin. Did you really test the whole the whole thing? No, you didn't. You just tested one spot, and you might have gotten a hot spot for aflatoxin. So, these tests that come up while they're great and it gives us information. It can also be misused 
for monetary gain for certain individuals or certain entities. So that's one of the things that we want to look at is saying, okay, if it's if CWD is so bad, let's identify why. Let's identify the best practices to go about it to solve the issue. And right now, the best thing that we can do is breed for genetic resistance. And that's what we're asking for Texas Parks and Wildlife to join with us breeders to help us make better decisions to breed towards that CWD resistance and not completely just throw the baby out with the bathwater whenever you start going in and killing all the deer in a facility. Because obviously there's some of those deer that aren't going to get it or can live with it a really long time. We need to isolate those animals and figure those out, but not be on the backs of the breeders. Right now, all these costs are on the backs of scientific breeders and Parks and Wildlife doesn't help them out a one bit or one. What does the life test cost? Uh, well, just the cost of it between the vet and the sending the test off, sending the test off to TBMDL is 50 bucks. Getting a, uh, a veterinarian, a veterinarian out there to do the test that is certified to do the test. That's going to cost you another 150, depending on how many deer you have, 150, 250 bucks. But then also handling those animals and cutting a chunk out of a portion of their body that gets extremely dirty and nasty that cost you something too, because you have the very first year that we had to do it, it was about a 10% death loss until we started figuring out how do we help these animals get over it? Cause it's basically a surgery. How do we help these animals get over this? When is the best time of the year to do it? There was a lot of learning curve to that for breeders. And while we still will lose deer from that procedure, we have been able to reduce it greatly from that first year where we were losing 10% of our deer that we were testing. Wow, I didn't realize it would have been that high, huh? But yeah, I guess there's a learning curve there for sure. And those live tests weren't even available, I don't believe, when all of this first started happening, uh, as far as uh, the restrictions being placed on uh, the, the breeding industry. But you can correct me if I'm wrong there. It looks to me like they started the anamortem testing in 2015. Okay. Well, like I said, I'm not a, a biologist. Uh, you guys can take my, my opinions with a grain of salt, but uh, I definitely wanted to have you guys come on and just share your experiences. And maybe it's fair, maybe it isn't. Who's to say? Uh, just doesn't seem like CWD. It seems like there's a lot of propaganda associated with it. And we're just trying to figure out why, right? Collectively. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. If they knew something we don't, they should have told us by now to help to, to walk us back off this ledge. It's like, uh, but anyway, um, do you guys, so you don't have a, do you have a Facebook page or anything or how do you guys all stay connected? Basically phone calls. I stay on the phone oh, pretty much from dawn to dusk here lately. Some of like last night, I was on the phone till after midnight, mm. but constantly having conversations talking uh sharing information emails but um uniting you can do the stuff through facebook uh creating groups and we have whitetail breeder pages there's a texas uh, genetics whitetail breeder page there's whitetail unlimited that we can go in and communicate through so there's lots of ways that we can communicate and pass information back and forth and try to figure out who's seeing what what information they're getting any studies that are coming up. Uh, there was one yesterday that got shared with me through a group text that uh, the state of Tennessee is actually being sued for uh, fudging the numbers on their CWD testing uh, to cover up mistakes that they made. Mm. And 
where they were over they were over producing the numbers that were actually positive information like that's good to know because you don't want an abusive government power and while we definitely want texas parks and wildlife to err on the side of caution whenever we're dealing with these types of diseases it can be detrimental to the deer herd the entire not just deer herd deer in texas in our pens but the entire herd in texas we want them to err on the side of caution but at the same time we want to be part of that solution i think every breeder in the industry can attest to that nobody wants anything bad to happen to the white-tailed deer we all want to breed healthy animals that resist these diseases that ultimately end in a bullet for our hunting heritage out there in the in the wild so let us be a part of that is all all these breeders are asking for. Let us be a part of the solution and work with us, partner with us. Don't treat us like a stepchild out there that they don't want anything to do with. Yeah. There's a lot of hunters out there that would say, you know what? I just, uh, the whole high fence hunting community can just go to hell. I could care less, you know, but let's be real. It's not going anywhere. So this is the landscape that we exist in, whether you love it or hate it or are indifferent to it doesn't matter to me, but, uh, you know, it's not going anywhere and people have a, a, a right to make money off their property to run a business with their resources. Uh, and I guess, you know, that's, I don't envy Texas parks and wildlife, you know, they have a tough job to do, but, um, there's gotta be some common ground somewhere. I appreciate y'all's time today. Thank you so much for jumping on and, uh, keep me in the loop as far as any potential, you know, any changes, regulatory changes, um, you know, I want to definitely stay on top of, of how you guys are continuing to, to try to make this relationship with, uh, TPWD as, as amicable as possible. So thanks again for shedding some light on the situation. Cable. Thank you. Thank you, Cable. Yep. Y'all have a good one. Thank you, sir. So there you have it. One side of the story anyway, pertaining to uh, CWD in the Lone Star State. Uh, do find it fascinating going back to what I said in the opening segment, why is the state of Tennessee fudging CWD numbers? There's got to be something more sinister going on. And to me, it just reeks of control. Like, I, There's no financial benefit to doing that, right? It seems like less hunting opportunity is a bad thing. So if you're creating CWD zones where CWD doesn't exist, uh, the whole thing just doesn't add up. We'll still invite the uh, Texas Parks and Wildlife CWD guy on to uh, to have a, an honest discussion if he's up for it. So um, hopefully that'll happen in the coming weeks. That segment of the show brought to you by Kent Cartridge. Uh, unfortunately, we are out of time for today. Got to go. Got to get out of here. Thanks to Jason and Jory for jumping on the show today. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying y'all have a great week in the outdoors. Break.